Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to episode 21, What's Your Vitamin C? Continuation of our discussion on Hardwired for Happiness. So, last week, we talked about hardwiring the brain and how we are hardwired also for a certain negativity bias that's very primal. Way back when we were running around, you know, being chased by saber-toothed tigers, and it was to our benefit to uh, be more focused on the negative than on the positive. And so it's important to understand, you know, though obviously this negativity bias is primal and hardwired in our brain, that it's not our fault. You know, it's obviously there for survival. And still, even so, uh, even though we didn't create it, we can certainly learn how to manage it and deal with it. And in a sense, kind of climb out, up and away from it. And last week, we also kind of dove into uh, Rick Hansen's book, Hardwiring Happiness, which is fantastic. And we'll just stay here for a little bit longer because the negativity bias thing is so important, um, and which also led into taking the good in, which we talked about last week. And then this week, we'll go into um, what is your vitamin C? So in reiterating sort of the presence of this ne- uh, negativity bias in our minds, Rick Hansen says The negativity bias doesn't mean you can't be happy. But if you're happy, you're happy in spite of it. It's a bias ready to spring into action depending on events. When you feel good, it waits in the background looking for a reason to make you feel bad. When you feel bad, it makes you feel worse. This bias creates two kinds of problems. First, it increases the negative. It pulls your attention to what it is or could be bad makes you overreact to it and stores the negative experience in implicit memory, which of course means our unconscious memory. It also creates vicious cycles of negativity, both inside your brain and with other people. In a variety of ways, the bias increases your stresses, worries, frustrations, irritations, hurts, sorrows, feelings of falling short, and conflicts with others. Second, The negativity bias decreases the positive. It slides your attention past the good facts around you. It makes you underreact to the good facts you do notice, and it slips the good experience you do have right through your brain, leaving little or no trace behind. This bias is kind of a bottleneck that makes it harder to get happiness into your brain. Now, so obviously the idea is not to, you know, sort of use this negativity bias as an excuse, so... You know, when someone's out there being a negative Nelly and someone says something to you and you say, well, didn't you know we've been wired since prehistoric times to be a negative Nelly? Okay, for survival, yes. And the message is here just that it's a slight up, a slight uphill climb, slight, and that we can actually overcome this negativity bias by practice. Because remember, what we practice, we inevitably get good at. And our other little mantra here is neurons that... Uh, wire together, fire together. Very important. We can retrain our neurons to think positively and overcome this negativity bias. You know, realize too, this can sort of, you know, show up or express itself in a variety of, of ways. I remember a very dear friend of mine who's still very much a part of my life today. And this was years ago. I mean, like decade, a couple decades ago. We're sitting at lunch and he gave me this heartfelt compliment it might have been a, about a presentation I made or something about how I had this natural ability to engage with people, blah, blah, blah. And I, he watched, my, he watched my, my eye contact kind of faded and went to the left and it went to the right. 
And he's and he said, Well, wait, 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 let's pull back here. And I, I said, Thank you. And he said, You are having a really hard time taking this compliment. And I really mean what I'm saying. You're really good at, you know, whatever it was at the time. And I said, Thank you, and kind of politely shifted my eyes around again. And he said, Let's just stay in this place for a second. Why, why is it hard for you to take in the good, which is what we're talking about, right? Why is it hard for you to take in the good? And what a, uh, he's a, he's just a very, very, very dear friend. Like I said, just loving and kind and extremely wise. And he said, let's just stay with this. And I said, I I don't know. I don't know. It's not, I just, I have to feel like I want to look around. I turned a few shades of pink. And of course, you know, it makes perfect sense because, you know, I had a little bit of a, or a lot of a bit of a turbulent childhood and I wasn't all that used to hearing good things. And I kind of had learned to deflect from that because it felt uncomfortable to me. And once again, you know, on previous episodes too, we talked about, um, and we will do another big one, shame at a later time, uh, which is really what's behind the whole thing, right? Shame remembers different from guilt. Guilt says, I made a mistake. It's an action word. I made a mistake. Guilt is meant to keep us from doing bad things to people. And also becomes toxic if it's held on to for too long. Versus uh, guilt saying, I made I made a mistake. Remember, shame says, I am the mistake, right? Shame says, I am the mistake. And it's the spiritual and emotional equivalent of drinking turpentine for breakfast. And in an addicted home, such as the one I grew up in, there's typically a large, rather large dose of shame because it's such an uncomfortable emotion that the parents walking around or whomever's in your home such an uncomfortable, toxic emotion that nobody really wants to sit with feeling shame. And so they kind of walk around projecting it onto other people, even if those other people are children. And that said, you know, as adult people, as adult seasoned adult people, we even all of that that happened, you know, way back in the past, it's important that we stay away from blame. That's not what we're trying to do here. So we're trying to kind of realize it, accept whatever happened that had me not feeling so comfortable hearing good things and taking in the good, own it. Okay, now, thank you for bringing that to my attention, wonderful friend. I think I really want to work on this because I want to get better taking in the good and and receiving heartfelt compliments and accepting these and internalizing these so my neurons can then learn to uh, wire together with these good feelings, then fire together with these good feelings, and then attract more compliments and more genuine goodness into my mind. And for me, um, you know, with whatever adversity happened earlier, and not that I'm saying I want to relive it, anything like that, though I, I wouldn't change one thing, not one thing about growing up in such a turbulent, addicted household because the strength and the courage, it's all the personality, you know, shaping that went on. I wouldn't change a thing because all of that has had so much to do with who I am today. In fact, it's kind of just a chuckle here. My my very best friend from growing up, um, who you know was just on the other street, the other side of me. So we both of us witnessed all kinds of stuff going on in both homes. We were talking about this yesterday on our birthday. That you know how it, it seems like we feel like Sherlock Holmes. It's like we spend you know sort of a seasoned part of our adulthood. We're both in our fifties, kind of figuring out and making sense of you know all that happened back when we were seven, eight, ten, teenagers, all that sort of thing. And the two of us are actually really enjoying being in our 50s and sort of sorting through all, through all this. It's actually been uh, a very rewarding, wonderful experience to have um, this history together. Okay, so 
back to our negativity bias, we'll wind up with this and move into the vitamin C thing. Rick Hansen says that, in effect, the negativity bias is tilted toward immediate survival, but against quality of life, peaceful and fulfilling relationships, and lasting mental and physical health. This is the default setting of the Stone Age brain. I love that, right? The Stone Age brain. If we don't take charge of it, it will continue to take charge of us. Especially at 55, this is bringing me right back. Because right now, when, when Rick Hansen's talking about the Stone Age brain, I can't help to think of the Flintstones. So any of you out there who are in my age range, um, I just, you know, the bam, 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 and the clubs, and it just has me, it has me just bringing that visual right back. Rick says that tilting toward the positive simply levels the playing field. Taking in the good corrects for the two tendencies of the negativity bias. This practice decreases negative feelings, thoughts, and actions while increasing the positive ones. You know, and back to my um, example with my with my friend, my wonderful dear friend. His nickname is Yoda, actually, because he exudes wisdom, love, and peace with every step he takes. Um, and you, you, if you listen to all my other podcasts and different webinars I've done, if you've had the chance, you hear me say Yoda. This is the same person. He's absolutely amazing. 76 years old. He's been in my life since I was 18 years old. And uh, just an amazing, amazing human being. They don't make people better than him. So anyway, I remember a couple decades ago, you know, here I was, you know, an accomplished professional, aware of this stuff, and I was still, you know, apparently having a hard time taking a compliment, a difficult time taking a compliment from someone I felt completely safe with. So hear me, hear me when I say this because this is so important, and I, and I love how he was able to bring it to my attention. I felt so safe with him that I didn't feel threatened or anything. He said, let's practice this. So we sat there at a, it was a Chinese buffet someplace. And he said, I'm going to say it again. And I want you to stay focused on my eyes, which usually I'm good at apparently, just not with compliments. And of course now it's, it's much different. I've gotten much better with this. And he had me kind of, you know, maintain that eye contact while he said the compliment again wow, you did such an excellent job with this presentation. Maybe it was with teenagers. I don't remember at this point. You, you really held them. You, you were so focused and engaged. And I could tell by their faces that you were really reaching them and touching them. And I tell you, he kept like moving my chin back to you know front and center, maintaining that eye contact. And it, it, was, an, it was sort of um, a practice that I needed to develop, this awareness obviously started off, you know, the conscious choice to become better at taking in the good. And I had to become comfortable being uncomfortable until I practiced enough to become comfortable with taking in the good, to taking in these good feelings so that I could attract more. And I will tell you humbly that it was harder than I thought at first and I'll tell you that my own little positive psychology experiment with myself went on for a while because I was practicing this, practicing this with myself. And so when I'd be in conversations with other people and they might, you know, say something good, you know, just, you know, a, a nice compliment and they didn't know it, but I'd be in the conversation talking myself through smiling. And in my head, I was saying, keep your chin here, remain, keep eye contact, listen to it. And then I made a decision to kind of repeat that good experience in the car on the way home. 
to repeat, relive it, process it, and so that I would, I would, my brain, my neurons would become comfortable with that good experience. So Rick Hansen says that over time, taking the good can help you experience that your core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection are finally fully met. Amen. So a quick, a quick recap here on the negative negativity bias thing is it's so important to really fully get this. Okay, so is that a key aspect of the negativity bias is the special power of fear. We routinely overestimate threats and underestimate opportunities and resources. At the same time, negative experiences sensitize the brain to the negative, making it easier to have even more negative experience negative experiences in a vicious cycle. Big point number two to remember here is that inner strengths, such as happiness and resilience, come mainly from positive experiences. But unless we pay mindful, sustained attention to them, most positive experiences flow through our brains like water through a sieve. They're momentarily pleasant, but leave little lasting value in terms of changing neural structure. The brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive ones. And I, I love this visual uh, with the Velcro and actually my cognitive psych class, this sometimes com- comes up that the inventor of Velcro, George de Mistral, uh, interestingly, and th- this, this man as a kid, I'm definitely just born to invent. Apparently his earliest patent was at the age of 12 with a toy airplane. This little, you know, psychology fun fact there. Um, and then in his mid thirties though, he was on a hunting trip with his, with his dog, and, you know, they both came back out of the woods covered in, in burrs or burdocks, I think they're technically called. But rather than, you know, rip them off with irritation, he decided, George decided to study them under a microscope. And that's where it all happened. So it's kind of cool. Is George figured out a way, after looking under the microscope, to, to kind of figure out a way to merge the hooks of the bur, burrs or burdocks with the loopy kind of thing going on in his fabric of his pants and also a dog's fur. And to find this in-between between zippers and buttons is just rather cool. And as far as for what we're talking about, you know, metaphorically speaking, you know, think of, just try to picture this under the microscope where George figured this out and picture the hooks, the hook representing the negativity, right? In the loop matching, you know, the neurons in our brain and then the hook actually, you know, wrapping around and snagging um, these healthy neurons and kind of sticking to them like Velcro, right, so to speak, and keeping that negativity train moving fast and forward and fast. You know, and then we have the Teflon metaphor for positivity. And I think we all know what a Teflon pan looks like, right? And it kind of, um, you know, repels, I guess, like water on a duck's back, as they say, stuff. So it's like, you know, with the positivity, it's like just sloughing it off easily, not, not adhering or not you know, mindfully paying attention to what, what's lying on the surface, but just immediately letting it slide right off without engaging in it. And then a uh, point to hang on to number three would be, while the negativity bias is good for survival in harsh conditions, it's lousy for quality of life, fulfilling relationships, personal growth, and long-term health. It makes us overlearn from bad experiences and underlearn from good ones. And then lastly, the best way to compensate for the negativity bias is to regularly take in the good. And, and just remember, this may be a situation like I shared with you about 
um, the compliment thing, this may be a situation for some of you of becoming, you know, consciously choosing to sit with the discomfort of how taking in the good may feel. And once again, this takes awareness first, conscious choice second, and then practice, consistent practice or rehearsal. This is how we become the boss of our brain. Okay, so as we head into kind of exploring what our vitamin C is, it's a little quick review on the three operating systems of the brain. So remember that the brain was kind of built like a house, you know, like floor by floor, you know, foundation first, up, up, up. And I'm sure most of you remember that the three levels are first the reptilian part, right? The base of the brain, the oldest part of the brain, most primal, that's responsible for the automatic stuff you know, breathing, heart rate, ba ba ba, And then the midbrain, which we've spent a lot of time talking about, right? The home of the limbic system, the amygdala, the hypothalamus, hippocampus, ba ba ba, basal ganglia, emotional headquarters of the brain. And that's the mammalian part, okay? And then we've got the frontal and prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, our more, uh, you know, primate human phases of evolution, which that is, where most of the big thought stuff happens, right? The executive functioning system of judgment, you know, reasoning, decision-making, problem-solving. It's also where impulse control is too. And then our ability to think about thinking, which is referred to as metacognition. And while this was going on, of course, the autonomic and uh, uh, nervous system was also beginning to evolve, which is the sympathetic and the parasympathetic systems of the, of the brain, right? So the sympathetic system, nervous system, is a part that gets us all jazzed up. That's our, that's our ooh, could be a threat, gets us amped up, senses become hypervigilant, paying attention, right? And then our parasymp- parasympathetic system is then what calms us down once um, any threat is over. And then we have the vagus nerve, which I like to just refer to as the vagabond. It kind of rolls through the entire body. And the oldest branch of the vagus nerve supports the parasympathetic part, which actually calms us down. And the sympathetic part of the nervous system, right, remember, jazzes us up. That involves the fight, flight, and, you know, freeze thing. And also actively pursuing opportunities. And also the vagus or the vagus nerve, the vagabond, like I like to call it, is also um, supportive of the social engagement system. This is also important. So, so Rick explains to us that as the brain evolved, so are its capabilities to meet our three core needs of safety, satisfaction, and connection through respectively three operating system systems that avoid harms, approach rewards, and attach to others. So basically, in a generalized recap, Rick says in general terms, your avoiding harm system is linked to the brainstem, to the oldest branch of the vagus nerve to the parasympathetic nervous system, and to the earliest stages of vertebrate evolution involving fish, amphibians, and reptiles. Isn't that fun to know? Your approaching reward system is linked to the subcortex, to the sympathetic nervous system, and to the mammalian brain stage of evolution. And your attaching to other symptom, symptom, system sorry, is linked to the cortex, to the most recent branch of the vagus nerve, into the primate and especially human stage of evolution. Now remember, this isn't so crystal or cut so, you know, like black and white situation because the different parts of the brain, you know, there's some overlap here. So uh, the sympathetic nervous system obviously is also invi- involved with the fight and flight. And the mammalian stage also supports some social behaviors. And Rick gives us his own little trick here that he says, 
you know, helps helps us to think of our own mind as containing a kind of lizard, mouse, and monkey related to avoiding, approaching, and the attaching system. So we meet our core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection when we, metaphorically speaking, pet the lizard, feed the mouse, and hug the monkey. I love that. And, of course, this is kind of a, a, a vis- visuals are nice, kind of a silly little visual that's kind of concrete. Is to, it is important to stay more focused on the functions, really, than the parts of the brain. We're talking about um, avoiding, approaching, and attaching, which are very, very important to figuring out what our vitamin C is. And he continues that to, uh, to say that it's very, very important to become more aware of when uh, one of our core needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection is being taken care of and what that system feels like when it's operating. You know, because just like we've talked about awareness all the way through, it's only when we become aware of something that we can make a change, right? So with this, when we become aware of those needs being met, this is how uh, to take in the key experiences that will, that will especially help that particular system. The avoiding, approaching, and attaching systems manage how we meet challenges and they organize and direct most of our experiences and actions. They basically, he's saying, they pretty much run the show, and they do so in two very distinct and very far-reaching ways. And this, of course, comes down to we're talking about being reactive versus responsive. And, of course, Daniel Kahneman, in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, talks a whole lot about this with in regard to uh, system one, which would be responsible for like the knee-jerk, you know, automatic reactivity part, kind of fast thinking, often how we make assumptions, um, past judgment, prejudice, really all that stuff, right? And then system two, which is a more slowed down, more responsive, take time to evaluate the facts kind of thing, um, than simply giving a knee-jerk sort of reaction. And interestingly, because you know, a lot of these very bright people are saying the same thing, Maria Konnikova in her book Mastermind, which I use in my cognitive psychology class, which I love. She basically does this, you know, she does this wonderful job of explaining this thought process as she compares it to uh, her family's, you know, favorite novel series, old now movies, Sherlock Holmes, with system one being more Watson, more knee jerky, more, um, you know, just jump on it right away, jump to assumptions versus the Sherlock Holmes system two, the more slow down, observant, take in the facts before you make a decision kind of thinking. So here we get back again into taking in the good as far as taking in what we need for each of these three systems. And uh, in the last episode, uh, we discussed the acronym HEAL, right? Which is have, enrich, absorb, and then link. And we need to kind of, uh, you know, focus on taking in those experiences that will help us the most. And this will be different for all of you. So this is where Rick says... Uh, this is where things get personal and very wonderful. He says, because it's about taking in the experiences that are specifically aimed at your own wants and needs. Perhaps you'd like to feel less worried, self-critical, or insecure. Perhaps you're dealing with a tough situation at home or work, or you'd like to feel motivated to exercise more or drink less. Perhaps you'd simply like to feel happier, more ease in life, and more loved. What if you had a little more of it inside of you, what, what is it that would make a difference for you? And this is where we get into the vitamin C thing and figure out what is, what is it that you really need. He says, because a problem requires a solution that's, you know, matched to, matched to it, matched to what the problem is, right? So if you had scurvy, for example, you would need vitamin C. So we're kind of trying to find out here what solution matches what your most 
inner needs and desires are. What is your vitamin C? This is all so important to know. And as you know, I practice gratitude every single day, write in my gratitude journal every single day. And this um, is the vitamin C for this particular um, operating system of the brain or one of them. As far as um, if you're feeling left out, hurt, inadequate, envious, lonely, resentful, or provoked, this involves the, the attaching to other system. So resource experiences of belonging, self-compassion, being appreciated, friendship, kindness, and assertiveness would especially help you here. So Rick then explains, you know, a good way to answer this question is in terms of your brain's three operating, operating systems. If you feel worried, tense, pushed on, or helpless, that triggers the avoiding harms system. So you'd be particularly helped by resource experiences related to the system, such as protection, safety, relaxation, strength, and agency. And agency is a big one, right? Because that's our own sense of autonomy, especially as adults. We really need to have that sense of agency and autonomy. He says, for sadness, disappointment, frustration, drivenness, pressure, or boredom, engage the approaching reward system and are best addressed by related resource experiences of gratitude, pleasure, accomplishment, and satisfaction. So the obvious first step here is is becoming aware, once again, of what it is you are really craving and needing more of before you can really kind of, uh, you know, check out the solutions to what that craving is. I can't help but to do a plug for mindfulness here again, because when we practice mindfulness daily, and again, remember, mindfulness goes where we go. It doesn't mean it's yet another thing to check out, you know, to put on our to-do list and then check the box, because if that's the case, you're not ready, don't do it, as John Kabat-Zinn would say. So again, the solution really has to match the problem or the craving or the desire, whatever the the void is. So a need for more love, more positive self-esteem, all that stuff is attachment stuff. So we can't sort of, you know, uh, fix heal, um, you know, a need for love and belong, a sense of belonging and self-esteem with going to the gym and exercising, let's say. Not that that's not a good thing. That just isn't the match for this particular problem. So Rick says, so, you know, what, what's your vitamin C? You know, think about this. What is it? It could be related to a current situation, a long-standing difficulty with another person, or an old wound from your childhood. When you know what you want to take in and grow inside yourself, You can look for opportunities in daily life to experience it and install it in your own brain by using the heal steps that we talked about. Of course, so the H part of heal is for have. And really, this is about noticing. This is about really very mindful, actually, once again, about noticing um, any quality of being for yourself already present. Okay, maybe something you're already happy with. And perhaps you can sense a feel of determination to take care of your own needs or good wishes for yourself. So relate this to what your vitamin C might be in your search. What is it that I'm feeling right now? Sit there, have it, and notice it. What is it that I'm feeling right now? Okay, and then once again, the the E is for enrich. So that's about opening up this feeling. If you're going to figure out what the vitamin C is or the solution is to what your needs and cravings and desires are, you have to open up the can kind of thing, right? And look inside, take a really good look and open it and engage whatever that feeling is, positive or negative. And then the A is for absorb, right? So it's like a deeper engagement. And it's, it has to do with also, in addition to attention, this one has to do with intention, okay? Sense and intend 
that this feeling of being on your own side is sinking into you as you sink into it, being on your own side. So again, go back to my compliment example. It's really, you know, if you want to picture your, your inner child and you standing there with, as an adult person in protective mode with your arms folded and, you know, don't mess with my inner child to whoever it is who harms you, or it might be something like the compliment example and just sink into that feeling of, of good and bringing in the good, whether it's the protection or the positive self-esteem or whatever it is, but to be on your own side. We're talking about self-compassion, befriending yourself, because many of us often treat friends, family, and even strangers better than we treat ourselves. So this is about, you know, kind of turning that around and standing up for yourself, even if it's in your own mind for the moment, standing up for yourself and absorbing what it is that that you'd like more of. You know, and then then there's the link part, which he says, while uh, having a vivid and stable sense of a positive experience in the foreground of awareness, also be aware of something negative in the background. For example, when you feel included and liked these days, you could sense this experience making contact with feelings of loneliness from the past. Remember that we can mindfully run, which I do all the time, mindfully walk in the woods, mindfully do the dishes, mindfully cook, mindfully play the violin, mindfully garden, mindfully anything. And you know, it doesn't, it's not a carving out of time. It's just, it's being in the moment. And the more we practice this, the better we get at it, right? Obviously. And the more we practice mindfulness every, each and every day, the less reactive we become in general with ourselves, with other people, to the world, what's going on in the world, become less reactive. And we engage, uh, as Daniel Kahneman says, system two thinking, or as Maria Konnikova says, our Sherlock Holmes thinking. It's a more slowed down, uh, more deliberate way to think and therefore to live, right? Thoughts come first and feelings come second. So by slowing it down, gathering the facts and making an observation, being in the moment more, we are then, you know, sort of, engaging our lives and living more deliberately, far less, far less apt to have a knee-jerk reaction to ourselves or to anyone else. If the negative material kind of hijacks your attention, drop it and focus on the positive. When you feel recentered in the positive, you can let the negative also be present in your awareness if you like. Whenever you want, let go of all negative material and rest only in the positive. Then, to continue uprooting the negative material a few times over the next hour, to be aware of only neutral or positive material while also bringing to mind neutral things. It could be people, situations, ideas, whatever. They become associated with the negative material. And this rolls in um, to big J's and little J's uh, for joy. And a very good friend of mine championed a breast cancer, um, not just scare. She had the full-blown experience going through the mud, um, you know, the chemo, the radiation, the whole thing. And she's now, she's now, you know, uh, doing very, very well, very healthy, very self-aware. And she was talking about when she, um, was going through all of that and they provided counseling. And when she was in the thick of it, lost all of her hair and everything. And she talked about how the counselor said, you know, on days when you wake up and you're really struggling, you know, to, to feel, to bring that good in, right. To bring the good in. She said, try to focus on, instead of the big J for joy, just focus on some little J's, which could be, you know, taking really deep breaths. Thank you. Thank you. 
for this big, deep breath. Thank you that my nervous system is operating. Thank you that both legs work, hopefully for you, both arms work. Um, thank you that I'm here today. Thank you. Thank you for everything working properly for my intelligence. You know, whatever it is, my intelligence, my my heart is beating sound and strong. And to go with whatever seems to be the little J's and be okay with the little J's some days because some days are tougher than others. And little J's also can add up and lead to big J's for little joy can lead to big joy. So like taking the heel steps, right, um, of have, embrace, absorb, and link, the little J's can also help you to be on your own side, and especially if that this hasn't been easy for you. You know, if you've had, if you've been mistreated, you know, in the past, and especially by parents, because that makes a gigantic difference. It, it may not be easy for you at first to be on your own side. And the heel steps and, and trying to access those little J's will really help you. And remember that we are after, after progress and not perfection, right? The perfection, that's a bad, bad P word. And I didn't even allow it in the house when our children were growing up. They had to say 99% excellent. I didn't want to hear, you know, you did that perfectly. You did, you know, you liked that, you know, per, that was perfect. No, it was 99% excellent, not perfect. We don't even want that bar. Don't want to have that bar in our minds because it's unobtainable. So why would we do that to ourselves? So it's about progress, not perfection. If I was more mindful today than I was yesterday, yay, success, pat yourself on the back. If you got a particularly hard start to your day, and an hour later, you were more mindful than you were an hour before, you're successful. Give yourself a big fat pat on the back. Good for you. Tell yourself you're awesome. I'm off. I'm awesome. I'm gorgeous. I'm smart. All those things. And when you're being a good friend to yourself, you're being on your own side, okay, you're giving yourself the psycho- psychological nutrients that you need. You're giving yourself nutrition, soul food, right? Cognitive and emotional soul food. And once it's installed, this inner strength will be easier to activate the next time you need it. Why? Because the brain is self-reinforcing. Remember, it's like a toddler, you know, looking for guidance. And when there's like, like a good parent, when you provide your neurons in your brain with consistency and follow through, they will learn to wire together and then fire together. And then you can reinstall it, deepening its neural trace in a positive circle. And then lastly, Rick reminds us that, um, you can use this approach, this heal approach of taking in the good for more than one vitamin, right? You can have another need that needs a vitamin D or B12 or, or whatever like that. The main theme here is if you have scurvy, you don't want to take an iron pill, right? You want vitamin C. So it's very important to kind of, you know, do your own Sherlock work and kind of figure out what happened along the way before you can figure out the solution. This is very important. And remember, too, that, uh, you know, mindfulness is, a, is about being active, even though it doesn't take any more time. It's not anything scheduled. Again, John Kabat-Zinn said, if, you, if you're like thinking you're going to add to your do list, just don't do it. You're not ready. So I'm thinking if, if, if you're listening to these podcasts that you are ready because you really want you know, whatever might be working, keep. And then there must be something, you know, maybe not working that you want to change for. So um, taking the time to be in the moment and to figure that out is, is a wonderful first step. And taking in the good, just like mindfulness is about taking charge, remember, agency over our own lives. I'm choosing to bring more good into my life. And by bringing more good into my life, you know, and like throwing it in, in the vault, stacking it on the shelf of the brain, keeping it there, making it more familiar, is, is, is getting us on the path to being the boss of our brain. And the more good we bring in, the more good we attract, which is, which is fantastic. So, 
So Rick says, by taking just a few extra seconds to stay with a positive experience, even the comfort in a single breath, you'll help turn a passing mental state into lasting neural structure. Over time, you can fill up your inner storehouse with the strengths you need, such as feeling at ease rather than irritable, loved rather than mistreated, and resourced rather than running on empty. These strengths will foster well-being and effectiveness, heal psychological issues such as anxiety, and support creativity, self-actualization, and spiritual practice. Amen. Man, this is good stuff. And on this lovely positive note, I will say, this is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Mm-hmm.